Welcome back, Rebels. Knock, knock. Who's that? A customer who wants to give you lots of money to buy your product. I suppose I can take this in two ways. Previously, I'd have been like, great, give me all that money. I'm happy to do the work for you. But actually, now I always think about, well, who are you? Do I actually want to work for you? Yeah, so you look through the spy hole first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think that, that's worth doing. It's like, now I've got an inquiry form on my website that it's like you have to fill that in to get the chance to work with me. I'm not just going to work with anyone. And there's quite a few people who've got in contact now, especially like if I'm fully booked, then I can be more specific about who I work with. It's kind of having that balance of when you've got no work, you sometimes have to work with people that you might not want to work with or businesses or brands that you don't feel fully aligned with because you need them to be able to fund making you grow. I think in the early stages, especially, you often take on work that you maybe aren't completely like in love with. But then it's about how can you turn that into getting more clients that maybe you do want to work with. I think that's why it's really important at the start to start reinvesting back into yourself as much as possible rather than just taking everything out while you can. Because it's like finding those clients who are perfectly aligned with you, who when you make something for them, they're going to love it because there's already that trust there in advance. Whereas I think if it's just someone who's like, oh, here's some money, I kind of want a thing from you or I want you to do something that isn't necessarily what you do normally every day but I think you can do it, then generally it might be a bit of a red flag there. And that actual interaction might actually be harder for you than you actually think it is. Yeah, I, I think if you work with someone and it's a great experience and both parties are happy, what most people do is then just leave that there and go, oh, that was nice. And I think it's so important to continue those relationships with those people because if there is a possibility that you work with someone that you've already worked with that was great, then let's do that again because great people are great yeah. and they're hard to find. So why not just out of the blue, six months later, send them an email or maybe try and do something more personable than that, like send them something through the post that, that says, hey, remember when we did that cool project together? Well, like love to work with you again or whatever it might be, like just letting people know that you still exist. I think that's a really good use of social media as well is, is that constantly like reminding people that you exist with the quality of of work that you have and just like continually trying to impress and and surprise and delight them so um yeah i think that is really important and i, I mean i love i love the our intros because you never know what i'm going to say to you in that first line <laughs> yeah. and i always try and um throw you off a bit but that but like you answered that really well and you're right like it is so tempting to just open the door to everyone um, and I think when you find that you do that do that we talk a lot about uh daniel Priestley's book oversubscribed and your your goal should be to be oversubscribed. It's a very simple ideology that you have more clients that are interested in working with you than you're currently able to deal with. Um, and as soon as you get to that stage, then you can be super selective with the people that you that you bring on. It sounds it sounds so like it sounds impossible, doesn't it? But it's so it is so achievable. I think we like we did it with our tattoo business. Um, and both of us are doing it individually in our in our own practices as well. And I mean, I, and I think just one of one of the great ways of doing that is is setting yourself up a waiting list. Um, I think that's that's really important because it just it it really conveys out to people that you are busy. And like you said on on your website, you've got a form that that people are applying to work with you rather than you'll just work with anyone. One thing I see yeah. a lot of creators do is is their bios on their social media is always saying commissions available dm me for any any opportunities and it does come across as desperate and i i i think that if someone really wants to work with you they're going to like my my instagram says books closed and daily i get messages from people saying can i can i work with you um yeah. so if if people 
want to work with you, you saying commissions open on your on your bio is not is not going to encourage them to work with you. If they want to work with you, they'll get in touch regardless of what it says. See, I would slightly disagree with that because I've had people before, because on my bio, it basically says, yeah, to book. And then there's the URL that they can go to. And I think before I put that, sometimes people don't even realize that you are bookable. Mm. I think just by letting people know it's like, like to do this, this is where you go to do it, I think can really help. Because then also that then stops the idea of, because I, people can DM me to book, but ideally if they're going to do that, then they haven't kind of gone through my website and gone through the means that I actually want them to go through. So directing people where you want them to go, I think is really important. And just in terms of what we were talking about the other week with kind of using Instagram or social media in general as kind of a marketing funnel to drive them to where you need them to get to, I think if that's your aim, if you're not selling through Instagram, if your idea is to get them somewhere else, you need to have that call to action to actually send people somewhere. But I think, yeah, but then people don't always read those things because, for example, for me, I've got, I'm booked out for these months. These months are the ones I have available in the future. Quite often people will be like, okay, can I book you for next week? And I'm like, well, no, because I'm actually fully booked for the next few months, like it says in my bio. Mm. Um, but then again, sometimes people ask and I do actually have some bit of availability that I've actually like, okay, well, actually this has got cancelled or postponed and now I can fit you in. So sometimes it does work that way as well. Yeah, so I suppose, so yours is like a combination of, of the both because it's like, yeah, I'm available to be booked, but not instantly. So there's still, yeah, when I yeah. look at it, I still go, okay, well, I've got to wait two months for this, so it must be worth booking. But also I can't just, I can't just buy it when I feel like it because I think that's that's the thing is when you present, so when people say like, all work on my feed is available, it's like, well, mm-hmm. it's also going to all be available tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. And people think, well, yeah, oh, yeah. I'll buy it next week. No urgency. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas if you all of a sudden say, I've got five pieces and that I'm going to sell them at, 12 o'clock on Monday then by the time it gets to two o'clock on Monday they've gone because you you because you had a limited window whereas if it's you can come and buy this whenever you want there's no urgency so you don't it doesn't really result in many sales I think that urgency definitely really helps because I find that quite a lot because generally I'm booked for about two months in advance when people message being like oh yeah I'm thinking of booking in the future I just let them know or normally I'm booked for two months in advance so if you want to book this sooner rather than later then you're going to have to book it soon because if you wait two months, then you're going to have to wait another two months for that to happen. And I think as soon as there is that urgency and what I do as well is I'll just let people know how many slots I've got available in the next month. And as soon as people see there's only like three or four left, they're like, oh shit, well, I need to book in now. Mm. And literally whenever I put up a post kind of that adds a bit of urgency to it, I get sales instantly. Like every single time I put one up, something comes through. So I think, yeah, making it so if it is just like, oh, yeah, I can go and get that whenever I want. I think you have less value on it because it's not as exciting. It's not as like fun. It's like whenever kind of brands do like drops or like I know how you drop your artwork. It's like there is that excitement to it. Whereas it's like I might in the moment and I've had it before where, oh, that's just dropped. I know there's a short amount of time. I don't particularly want this thing, but because the excitement's there and I'm like, well, I might not want it now, but what if I want it in the future? (laughs) And then I think you kind of get this little like thing in your head and you just go for it and buy it. It's, sales, I think, are always a good example of that. Like when Black Friday happens or something, I'm like, I'll sit there going through all the feeds of like all the offers that are available. And if that wasn't a kind of a period of time in the in the year where everything goes on sale, I wouldn't even be sat there. So I'll generally probably buy something that I don't even need. But because there's that urgency of this is only going to last this period of time, 
I think that really makes people like want to be involved in it because I think they see a bit more value in spending the time and buying it in that moment. Yeah, they do on eBay as well. Like all of a sudden you get an alert, like there's 15 minutes left and then you've got the clock counting down. People probably end up spending way more than stuff's worth just because they're panicking that they won't get it. So, But then again, I guess what we're both talking about is being oversubscribed. It's it's working with the type of people, like being oversubscribed, but with the type of clients that we want to be oversubscribed with. Um, and I 100%. think I think that's that's something that is is so key that maybe if you if you'd interviewed us five or six years ago it wouldn't have been something that we would have spoken about we would have spoken about our why and our mission statement and getting a, as many customers through the door in order to allow us to to do that and it's been a, a real journey of becoming just more aware of of how we spend our time because we know that the jobs that we take on with clients that are cool that want to do fun shit. Are the, are the jobs where we enjoy spending our life with them. So it's it's so worth seeking out those people that are cool to collaborate just because on a, on a life basis, those are the people you want to be spending your time with. A lot of that comes with experience because I think when you first get started in business, you don't know who your ideal client is. You don't know who you're going to enjoy working with the most. So after you've done it for a certain amount of time, actually stop and kind of like reflect on who you have worked with, who was the best people to work with, what you enjoyed the most. Uh, what was kind of a good balance between kind of enjoyment and actual revenue as well because I think that's really important to sustain your business whatever you do you get more of so if you decide to actually I'm not going to work with the people like that I'm going to work with people like this you're also going to start to get more of that because people are going to see oh this person works with these kinds of people they do this kind of thing for those kind of people this is the style of thing that they do and more people will ask for it so I think yeah to, to break that down it's kind of yeah work with everyone as many people as you can for a short period of time to work out who actually is you like to work with then start to just focus on one market and start to really head in that direction and if people come in from something that you're like that's going to take me away because you know that by doing that you're going to get more of it so if something comes in and you're like oh actually do I want to do more of that are you taking this because it's just one quick paycheck or is it because you actually want to move into that field going forwards and if you don't want to spend the rest of your life going down that route it's like I heard someone say recently, it's like, if you wouldn't work with this person for a day, don't go into business with them because you're going to work with them for the rest of your life. So I think it's the same with kind of clients. It's like, don't work with people who you wouldn't want to work with forever. And I think having that mindset, obviously, it's kind of, you kind of need to be in a level of privilege to, to be in that situation where you can pick and choose. But as soon as you find yourself at a level where you can sustain the business, you might not be making absolute loads. But that's the point when you really need to start picking who your niche is, who your market is, and working with only people like that. Yeah, and and I guess so much of that it comes down to your personal brand and what you portray out to the world. Because it's if I look at someone like Toots Design, who's one of our listeners, when I look at her work, it's like I know that she's only going to be there's only going to be lovely people that work with her, like because yeah, yeah, because there's yeah. no one that's an ass that is going to look at her stuff and start working with them. And it's the same with this week's guest, William. Like when you look at his brand, you know that the that the clients of his brand are going to be aligned with everything that Vitae embodies, because there's no way you'd buy a watch from them if you didn't have the same like core values or, or identify somehow in in how William presents his brand out to the world yeah that is important how like how are you representing your brand how are you representing yourself like online to the world so if someone comes across you this could be a good test as well like asking a friend or actually this is something i do quite a lot when i've got someone who i'm working with like as a client quite often at the end of it i'll or like during the, the session i'll be like oh how did you find me 
what was it about me that kind of stood out and just asking those questions to the people who are already booking you because they're going to have such a different perspective on it compared to maybe like your best friend or someone who knows your business really really well and I think yeah just understanding the client's mindset can really help in actually kind of making your decisions go forward. I mean one thing we've done with business before is used our clients own words back at them and um, so when we were getting reviews for Parlor, our tattoo studio we we went through and you aggregated every single word that came up most frequently and the most common word that came up was welcoming so all of a sudden we changed our bio to welcoming tattoo parlor in Shoreditch and there's so there's probably a lot of clues that your existing clients are already giving you you've just got to ask for them and then and then implement them and and as soon as you like if people are already saying about you that's how like because a brand is not your logo it's how people feel about you and if they're already telling you how they feel about you then that's that's massive because they might be saying stuff that you didn't you didn't already know and I think for me like I've, I've just had a video go viral and I, I think I'm at 1.5 million views on it now on Instagram one of the reels that I put up and so I'm getting this huge influx of of new followers and realizing that I've that every single new person that comes in I've got to re-educate I have to start from like every day I have to start from day one of like knowing okay that here's all these new eyeballs I have to let them know through the next 10 posts that I make what I'm about, what my values are, what what why I'm making the work that I make, so that I so that I weed out the bad ones and I keep the good ones because I don't want the people around that don't aren't aligned with the work that I'm making. And that's why the cons- consistency in your personal brand is such an important thing because you, people can find you at any moment and they need to land on your page and that's where your work needs to be authentic. It needs to be exactly who you are and what you believe because as soon as you start putting stuff out that isn't who you are and what you believe you're going to start getting people who don't believe what you believe. And yeah, and it all comes down to that. It's like that authenticity going forward and making sure that your personal brand runs through everything that you do. Because yeah, you no idea, like your biggest client, your dream client could land on your page today. They could land on your page in six months time. It, it's not like a, an open book of just like, we're going to start at the start of a chapter, but people can find literally, they can come in at chapter 62 and they have to get an idea of who you are whilst they're reading this and whilst they're on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I think someone that has done that beautifully well is this week's guest, William Adoasi. His watch brand is Vitae London, and he has a, a real sort of purpose and why, because every watch that is sold um, goes to help educate a child in Africa. And we spoke to him about why that education is is such an important, important foundational thing and how, I mean, how his brand is literally changing people's lives. Hi, William. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. William, first question I want to ask you is, like, what was the point uh, where you realised that you didn't want to be in your nine to five anymore? Was it kind of a gradual creeping or was there a sudden, like, breaking point where you're like, oh, this has got to stop? Definitely a gradual creeping. I think day to day, the little, you get that n- little niggly feeling think, where you think, is this really what I'm meant to be doing? It's the, yeah, those little frustrations you feel. And for me, it was just a lack of fulfillment. Um, I think I just got to a point in my career where like I was earning good money, but I, I don't know, I, I came to a point where I just realized money alone didn't give me that like gratification. Um, not to say that I don't care about money at all, but it just didn't give me the, the satisfaction I thought growing up that it would. Um, so yeah, it was just a gradual build. And then it was like a gradual build and an overnight change because I literally just, 
I just, the minute we got like the first batch of our watches in, I literally went to my manager and said, yeah, I'm no longer working here. And the rest is history. <laughs> so how much of that was kind of building up your brand in the kind of like as a side hustle effectively before you decided to launch? Like, cause I'm guessing you didn't just go job quitted. Now I'm going to start a new company. Kind of did that to be honest. And I would never advise anyone <laughs> to, um, cause I'm a bit of a nutter. But in essence, yeah, in the background, I had done research around the product. I built an Instagram page, started building a few followers. But the day that the first batch of watches came in, like 300 watches, and obviously we'd been through the prototyping and all those stages before that as well. But yeah, the day the first batch of watches came in, um, I just, yeah, I called it a day. And I don't know, I've always had a bit of a why not attitude. Um, I saw other watch brands in the market. I saw what they stood for. I saw their designs. And I just felt to myself, I can take those guys on. And if they're making millions, I can at least make enough to sustain myself. And that was my mindset entering it. Probably not the wisest, but yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> and day one, so you've got these 300 watches. What does it then look like? Of like, How are you going to sell these? How are you going to actually get these 300 items out of house or out of your office or wherever <laughs> you're based at the time? I guess in the early days, I was, I was looking at people in my network that had a bit of influence that I could get the watch on. I was, I was just trying to see how I could elevate the brand so it looked bigger than it was. And it's funny because we were able to seed it to quite a few people in the early days. Um, people had this perception that this brand was more established than it was because I guess we were in essence piggybacking off the credibility of the people that were willing to to um, be advocates for us and, and the brand. So in the early days, that's all it was. I was getting it to as many people as possible. If I was out with friends, I would literally stick a watch on someone's wrist, take some pictures used to run a photography business as well. So I was always just trying to create more and more content. And over time, we've just scaled, really. Um, we launched it in January 2016 um, and just, yeah, I've been growing ever since. And have you got any other interesting stories about things you used to exaggerate on, like, to make it look bigger than it was? Because I remember, like, when we first started our business, there was so much, like, you've just made this little thing look massive and it makes such a there's difference so, there's so many tactics i mean well to begin with was just using like it's just a language like our business and we and really it was just me alone in my boxes in my shed but <laughs> i made it seem like i made it i don't know i made it from the offset you you make it seem like it's an organization it's a company um and even when i was speaking to the factories to be honest they don't take you seriously if they think you're just going to be making a really small order. So I always had to be selling the vision to them. They were the first people to sell the vision to, to allow me to firstly do a, an order small enough so I could test the market. Um, so yeah, you're always kind of exaggerating, like having a PA that didn't exist back in the day and, and, and all these different things just so that people would respect and give you the credibility you felt like you needed to to get to so yeah there's a lot of i wouldn't say fake until you make it but yeah there's a slight element of that for sure were there any points in that in those early days where because because we just interviewed the founder of netflix and his whole thing is that will never work and that's the name of his book the name of his podcast were there any points where people were giving you that advice like if this will never work you're crazy 100 percent. in the early days i remember telling a friend about um about vitae and 
them literally saying, why would anyone buy your product when they can get it from Armani for a bit cheaper or they can get it from this brand? They're like, they, I think for them, it just didn't make any sense. Like there's so many watch companies. Why on earth is anyone going to buy one of your watches? And at first, like it actually did hit me. I was thinking, whoa, this guy might actually have a bit of a point. Um, Mm, like it makes it does make you kind of ponder and wonder if you're going down the right the right path but by the end of it I was just I was just adamant to prove them wrong and adamant to prove that we could be unique enough to to draw a, a cult following and then that cult following would grow to a mass following so yeah because because like when you were saying earlier I was like this guy's bold man because you, you're like your first thing that you came out and said to us was like I saw the big guys doing watches and you were like, oh, I could take them on. We're talking like, <laughs> like the watch brands, they're institutions, man. These are like, these are big, big, like moneyed up. All institutions are started by human beings. Like they, they, they were all an, they were all a thought at one point they were all an idea. Um, and I don't know the process. I don't know how long it took them to become an institution, but I know that I'm a, a human being with, a, with thoughts and ideas. So if they were able to create that with the same material that I have, then yeah, why not try and take them on? It doesn't mean instantly I'll be able to knock them out, but with time I can build, I can grow and, and see where we can take things. I wish more people had that that attitude. I, I think if you could if you could bottle that up and, and put it into pill form and like just give that to people, that would it would be the perfect thing because having the confidence to, because most people see those obstacles, they paint them as so huge in their head and they think this is not for me and they give mm. up. And it's, that's the thing that I'm trying to get across to people. It's like if, as, as a kid, if like one person, like one teacher had come to me and said like, you can be an artist, then it would have just given me this little like shield, this little bit of armor that would have made me thought, yeah, okay, but no one did that. And so then when you do sort of try and do your thing when you're older, it's so hard to like, like now I'm bulletproof, but that's only because I've had you the successes in the up. past and yeah. I'm built off of those. But it's those, it's those first ones, those early days where everyone does say you're crazy, but you do it anyway. Yeah. That's the point. It's, it's the doing it anyway. That's the, the hard thing that I wish I could give to people. It's so crazy that you say that because I've been talking to a lot of people recently and trying to understand what, gives people the drive to do what they do, like what gives people that kind of innate nature. And I I don't know where it comes from. I don't know what causes it. And just as you said, I wish I could, yeah, bottle it and sell it and bottle it and give it to the world. But I don't know where, I don't know the source of it. Like I don't know what creates it. And I think it's, it's different for every single person as well. So it's very, very interesting. Well, I think so much of it will come down to people enjoying the process of getting there. Because I think what happens a lot is people will see people online and be like, oh, I wanted to go and do that. That's really cool. And then they'll realize, oh, actually, it takes a shitload of effort to get to where they've got to. Mm, yeah, I don't really yeah, want yeah. to do the thing to get there. <laughs> so I, I want the yeah. rewards at the end, but I don't want to actually do the thing in between it. So I suppose what sure. the difference is probably when you find that person who they enjoy that process in the middle. It's like they find something that it doesn't matter if they ever get to the end. They're going to enjoy the ride along the way. I guess it's just being vision minded, um, having the vision at the forefront at all times. Um, and I guess a lot of people, because when you have that vision, that is that is really the driving factor. Because in the midst of the hurdles, in the midst of everything, because you see that end goal, it kind of just pushes you towards it. But I think, it, yeah, it's so easy for others to come in and kind of hinder that vision 
and then your own insecurities and then layer upon layer before you know it you're not chasing what you're meant to be um so it's just about removing those layers have you always been someone like that since you were younger someone who can just kind of like push everyone else out of the way to focus on what you want to do i've just always kind of been a bit of an outsider and it's, it wasn't necessarily by choice um but yeah i think I, i've just always kind of been one i i grew up on like a council estate south london then got a scholarship to a boarding school where i was one of a few black kids in the whole school so then you kind of feel like an outsider at boarding school you come home to to your area and then you're seen as a bit of an outsider because you're the kid that kind of got out to go to boarding school so neither of them fully accept you in a sense you have your core friends in both but so i think i've always been someone who has had to have a bit of thick skin and think for myself and which in turn has yeah been massively beneficial and i've just I've always been a bit stubborn so I, I think that's that's kind of where it's come from. You mentioned when we when we first started chatting about the money side of things and you were like you were in a, a nice job you, you had a decent salary. I think is a, a road that everyone has to go down this this whole money doesn't bring you happiness thing because it's such a cliche that that gets said over and over again by every single person um that's that's ever sort of achieved money but it's never said by anyone who doesn't have money which is like a do you know what I mean it's a, a big distinction to make. Um how did you deal with that? Like the realization of, of this cash isn't making, because it, because it's the thing I always struggle with is I always want to tell people don't go after the cash because it won't make you happy. But then I also feel like it's almost a, an essential part of the journey because it's only once you achieve the cash that you then realize, and there's no amount of telling anyone that doesn't have any cash not to chase it because it won't make them happy because they have to get it and first. It, 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 it's a real weird thing to kind of even articulate because I would say money can help buy freedom. We're in a capitalist world. Often we do need capital to do things. So I think money can help buy freedom, which in turn can help support happiness. But I would never say money can out and outright buy happiness. And also, I would also just go to say the method at which you acquire that money and what you do day to day is just so important. So like if you, if the vision can be the most important thing and money is a byproduct that enables you to live more free, then I think that is the end goal. But if you're just chasing money, then when you acquire the money, you realize that I don't actually have a vision for what I want to do with this money or the, mm. the life I want to live or the level of freedom I want. And then I think that's when people really, really, really realize that money just, yeah, it doesn't buy happiness because it's the vision for your life that, bears the happiness and money can either be a byproduct or help support that if you are currently going for the money like what for because if if the answer is yeah. that is because i'm going to get this and that's going to make me happy then suddenly there's probably a problem there whereas if you were like mm. i'm going to do i'm going to i want those money because it's going to get me this and there's a reason for it and it's not just to make you happy mm-hmm. then there's probably a that probably works in a bit of a better way so i suppose if you're listening to this and you do feel like You've just got your head down, just trying to get as much money as possible, but you don't know what you're doing it for. Then it's like there's a very different situation there. Yeah, I think you articulated that really well. And um, I, I, when I was researching you, I found out something, and, and it sort of reminds me of a friend of mine who's got a really great attitude towards money. Um, he, he's he's just sort of feels like 
money will come and money will go and and he's very sort of um he's very relaxed about the whole thing i'm much more uptight and always have to like <laughs> I, I need to know that i've got this little bit here that's going to be that's going to be my buffer and everything um but you yeah. invested your all of your house money into starting the business didn't you so that's that's a yeah. very brave yeah. decision but i'm guessing you have quite a relaxed thought about it because you're like okay well if this money goes then i'll go and make some more money it's funny because people have described me as brave for that move but i guess i have a mindset which would dictate that that is not brave because in the worst case scenario i would get another job and earn that money back so i don't know i just for me i didn't see it as brave as a result of that um but others yeah others may have done and yeah i I just think the beauty of what, like what you touched on earlier around having success, which builds up your armor, um, I think is just so important because I just thought to myself, I'm making all this money for these different companies. I clearly have the ability to generate money. I clearly know how to create, to create more money than I had yesterday. Like I can generate money. So it may take me a while to get there. It may, I may go through some bumps in the road. But I just didn't doubt my ability in being able to make money because I, I, I could look back and see reference points of me doing it for others. So yeah, I, I didn't really see it as brave as a result of that. But I, I get why other people say that, if that makes sense. I suppose as well in terms of the using the house money for the business money, that like it's just delaying the gratification of when you're going to get that house because you're still going to get it. For sure. It's just going to be in a further sure. amount of time. You're basically just investing in yourself because it's like, you could have just bought that house back then and then you'd be stuck in a mortgage and you'd probably keep having to work a job that you didn't enjoy or it'd take you longer to get back to a stage where you could afford to start a business but actually by taking that risk and investing it then i'm sure now you're in a better situation than you were then and that wouldn't have happened if you didn't make that move 100 percent, couldn't agree more it's yeah and again it's just having it's having a vision for that money like people want to acquire money what are you going to do with that like it's having a vision for that which doesn't only look at the short term, it looks at the long term potential. Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier um, capitalism and it is the uh, the system that we're trapped in. And uh, we did an interesting interview with a uh, lady who's written a whole book about how to reimagine capitalism. Um, and I think you quite easily could have been a case study within that book um, because your model for selling the watches is slightly different is this is not a completely for-profit business could you tell us a little bit about that yeah for sure um, so yeah being in the job where I had the frustration of money alone just didn't give me that satisfaction it it pushed me to ensure that when I started my business there was more depth to it there was a there was a core reasoning behind why we were acquiring money as a business um, so yeah, right from the offset, it's been in our DNA. Um, so the watch brand's called Vitae London. Vitae's Latin for life. So the whole mantra is to be the watch brand changing lives. Um, and yeah, the reason why we make the impact we make is on a couple fronts. Firstly, my dad's the first in my family line to learn to read and write. He grew up in a village in Ghana. My mum's line of the family came from more wealth, wealth but my dad's was from, was from a poorer side. And yeah, like he was the first in my family line to learn to read and write. It breaks this cycle of poverty. And then it just gets me thinking, imagine all the wasted potential that's across sub-Saharan Africa right now. Like a generation later, I've birthed this business, which is doing this, is doing that. But there's just so many people with the same DNA makeup as me right now that are not 
getting those opportunities purely because of the families they were born into. Um, so yeah, with every watch we sell as a brand, um, we help support a child through education. Um, Sub-Saharan Africa is the one region where poverty has actually increased in the past 25 years. And that coincides with the fact that it has the lowest amount of young people in primary school education. So there's this direct synergy between education and obviously outcomes and and unfortunately poverty. So yeah, from the offset, we've just ensured that within our business model, we incorporate that give back right from the start. And it, it gives me a, a, a deeper drive. It's not like, oh, we sold X amount of watches. It's no, X amount of watches means we've supported X amount of children. And that's, yeah, that's, there's nothing better than that. I think that's really interesting as well, because I've kind of seen quite a few interviews that you've done, and I've never heard you use the phrase, we sold this amount of watches. You've always said, we provided this amount of school uniforms. And I think having yeah. that as your as the face of like, this is what we're providing, it's the watches are a byproduct at the end of the day. It's like, that's sustaining mm. the thing that's bringing you like meaning. For sure, for sure. And yeah, for us, like we always seek to be a differentiator on two fronts. I think there's so many brands that, seek to do make a charitable impact but if I'm going to be honest their products are just whack because they they lean so heavy on we're giving back that they don't even bother creating to a high standard whereas for me I I kind of feel it should be the opposite I think if you're trying to make an impact in the world you're trying to support lives your product should be on a higher level than the competitors you should seek to to do more because you have more that you stand for. Yeah, so for me, there's three Ps we always seek to like focus on. The first one being um, people. So we have over 500 people who've invested and own shares in the company. Whenever someone buys a watch, they get a, a car that says, welcome to the family. We're a real like community-based business. We want people to really feel bought, bought into us as a brand and us as a, as a community. The second P is product. So instead of just focusing on our purpose, we actually make sure our product is super distinct. We have some innovations with some of our products where you can remove the bezels and straps and change colors and, and do all sorts of things. And then the third one being our purpose. So yeah, like as a brand, those are the three things we, we focus on distinguishing us from, from the rest of the market so we can yeah, grow and, and build. So the fact that you do kind of have more of a high ticket item to be able to help more people is such a better way to do it because I think most people when they go into helping charities and I know you were in a situation at the start where the charity you're supporting you were actually just donating money to them monthly before yeah, or yeah, uh, regularly yeah. beforehand but it's like you can only ever do so much by doing that and I think if you really want to make a difference in the world you need to be able to grow something that can help that at a bigger scale because as an individual sure. person it's like yeah how can you scale giving and I think if you can do yeah. that through business or like through growing a community or any of your any of the three p's i suppose will hit that in a different mm -hmm. way um mm -hmm. i think yeah that's such a more effective way to make a change in the world rather than just helping a one one person at a time why don't we just hold off on that for a bit scale it massively and then we can help thousands of people yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. and for me it was just about trying to do this in a in a much more larger sustainable way there's i can shout let's support these children or an army of people could come together to support them. And that's just so much more powerful. Yeah, I mean, to, to Adam's point, like if if there were more businesses and if some of the bigger businesses were doing that, then there would be no need for these charities. 
because the the system of a charity is is so it's like it eats money gobbles up money because it's got so many overheads and staff and all of these things whereas if you've got a business that like i i i think business is more powerful than charity um which is unfortunate it's a shame but but if we can sort of slightly model ours but but then i think it's such a difficult thing to do because i remember our uh, accountant saying to us you need to be earning 80 pence on every pound to like to for this to be a sustainable business and then when you're paying your staff and your phone bill and your rent and all of these things, like it's expensive to run a business and then to look at a further percentage that you that you know needs to go somewhere else. Like it's it's not an easy thing for a startup. So so mm. I guess that's why I'm sort of like pointing the figure at some of the these bigger companies that are just rolling yeah. in cash that they're not doing anything with. It, and it, it what's interesting though is that I I actually do see a business benefit to giving back as well. I think it's so easy for me to, I don't know, come here and say, I'm such a great guy. Look at the impact we make. But I think at the same time, there's actually a fundamental business benefit. A lot of the, the Gen Z generation, the millennials, like there is a real drive to want to be a part of something that's, that's doing more for the world. And I look at the people we've had where our watches like the Richard Branson's, Emily Sande, we've got a watch to people like people like Pharrell Williams, the president of Ghana. And if we didn't have a give back component to our brand, I don't know if if any of them would, mm. would have worn the watch. So as tough as it is from a financial perspective on, on the business, I think we've actually generated probably more sales, more awareness, more hype as a brand by giving back. So it, it, it kind of works both ways. So I think if those businesses can ensure that they, in a sense, as bad as this sounds, leverage it to to make a bigger impact. I think it's it's really important um, because giving back can actually be beneficial. Like if you give, I honestly believe in like as you sow, you will reap. Like so, as you give out to the world, you will yeah, you'll get that back. Yeah, I mean, me and Adam were talking recently about status and the things that we wear are are kind of messages that we're we're sending out to the world and and like yeah the reason that those celebrities are, are, are pictured with your product is because the message that they want to give out to the world is that they are helping people for and sure. they give a shit about what's going for on sure, for sure so yeah there's just an alignment um so yeah definitely increases alignment especially with high end high ending quotes people that would have been near on impossible to get in touch with other other than if you're in alignment with them. Yeah, Pharrell, that's a that's a like dream <laughs> dream client. Um I I can I can totally see why you've gone for education and not like food or or like or there's so many things that we could be giving to, but I, I can see why education's a big one because obviously with your dad, because if you think of the the knock-on effect as well, it's like had your dad not been the first in your family to learn to read and write, like where would you be now? Like would mm. would you have started this business like probably not right I'd, I'd probably be in a village in ghana right now like mm. i i have no clue who i'd be where i'd be so it yeah it's completely transformed the trajectory of generations to come not just his life but yeah he's now gone on to have seven children um and we're all doing pretty good so and that has a knock-on effect on wider society and yeah yeah it's it's beautiful how education can have can just keep bearing fruit for generations. It's crazy. I, I saw a video recently um, and like this was from the 1970s and it was a guy talking about how 
these continents and, and places that we label as poor or third world are in fact not poor. They're so rich, like they're so rich in, in people, produce and, and commodities and all of these things. But it's the rest of the world that has been taking yeah. for so long mm-hmm. that is causing this. And, and it does seem to me that the only lifeline to that is education. Yeah, that's the only way around it. It's, yeah, it's funny when, yeah, it's funny when Africa is described as the, one of the poorest regions in the world. But it's just the most one of the most exploited regions in the world. That's that's the yeah. truth of it. If it was so poor, then why why did every single nation from the West scramble to have a piece of it? So yeah, it's just yeah, it's just the most exploited. And I I think I don't know. I think the beauty of a business like ours and other people who are making an impact in a similar way is that we can we can help reverse that. We can we can generate income in the West and have it redistributed to Africa. So jewelry watches like jewelry's always been a thing which has gone to exploit africa so to be able to do the opposite is yeah it's definitely a real blessing you provide school uniforms don't you because certain kids if they don't have a school uniform they're not allowed to go to school i just think that is the most fucked up thing it's a joke (laughs) it's a joke and and it's sad because these schools are literally set up in the townships for the poorest of kids so most schools do have a fee to them. These schools specifically don't have a fee to support these children, but something as basic as uniform is deterring children. And I think sometimes there is a bit of a leeway if you can't afford the uniform, but then it's also that kind of social anxiety and emotional baggage of going to school, been, everyone's yeah. wearing uniform, you're the odd one out. So there's there's layers to it as well. So... Yeah, it's sad that it's sad that that is a barrier to education. But yeah, we're just trying to knock those barriers down. That's dope, man. Um, I've heard you talk before about um, living with no limits, um, and that how that's something that you you really want to teach to your daughter specifically. Um, how would you advise people to live with no limits? It's definitely a mentality thing. I think I think one way to do it is to free yourself of your environment. Um, free yourself of the limitations that have been set out for you. And actually, w- one way I've been able to free myself from limitations is looking back, looking into history, looking into like my bloodline, um, finding out finding out all these stories about my granddad and all he had achieved on my mum's side and realising that if he's achieved that, then there's no reason why I can't... Like, so I found out my granddad was a millionaire, had 24 children, seven wives, was just out there. Um, but <laughs> literally paid for all his children to move from Ghana to the UK and US. Hence, why we're we're all we're all over here. Because I think growing up as a black boy from a council estate, South London, media's constantly painted a picture of who I am. Then society's painted the picture. People around me have painted the picture. So that's that's I I've kind of I'm a reflection of the environment I'm in. And the only way to kind of beat that is to understand other environments, understand how other people have been able to achieve and 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 do some great things in this world despite where they've come from, and understanding that they're human just like us. So the limitations you feel that you have are actually a lie because other people with the same in quotes limitations are doing are doing incredible things. So that's that's what helps me to live without limits. It's Yes, understanding that a lot of the limits or a lot of the limits we put on ourselves are 
actually just reflections of limitations others are putting on us. Yeah, I think it's almost like finding good role models for yourself because if obviously you had your granddad there acted as a role model to help be like, well, he's done this, I can do it too. I think if you can find someone that's come from a similar scenario to where you've grown up, where you, then you can be like, well, if they've done it, I can do it as well. So I think people need for to sure. have more role models that are people who are like that rather than just kind of like Instagram celebrities who maybe haven't yes. come from the same background and they don't know the kind of truth about how they've got to where they've got to. And, and it's so crazy seeing someone else achieve how, well, a lot of people can see that and feel envy and and not want to push on. But for me, it does the opposite. Like it always pushes me on. I was actually like, before we had the podcast, obviously we were talking and I went to Legoland this week with my family and I went to do the, the game when you you shoot the basketball in the hoop to win the massive toy. Yeah. So I, I went to that game and I said, no matter what, I'm leaving with one of these toys. I'm not leaving empty handed. So I, I paid for probably way too many, paid for more than I should have. <laughs> but I've, I've paid all this money and I've got 12 hoops to do it. So I'm shooting, shooting, getting close, getting close. I've done nine now. A lady comes next to me on her first attempt. She gets it in. And I'm like, what the heck? So as soon as she gets it in, I'm like, all right, I have to get it in now. Straight away, as soon as she's got it in, I get it in straight after her. And it just made me think, because of my competitive nature, because I've seen someone else do it, I now had this all of a sudden urgent drive to do it. And literally after she got that one in, all her other shots were dreadful. <laughs> I was like, how did you even, like, what was that about? But it, it, it just, to me, it was like a... It was a story to just remind me that, yeah, seeing others do it can actually inspire you and spur you on and remind you what's possible. Just look outside of your environment at what is humanly possible. And remember, you're a human too. And I think to absolutely flip that on its head as well, like if you can't find anyone who's come from where you are, who's become successful, then be that first person because you could be the role Facts. model for everyone else who's where you are. Or you're as to why I did watches, like I've always loved watches always been fascinated especially by the design always collected watches but another reason why i went into the watch industry is because i was like there's no one that looks like me is really doing this i was tempted to do a clothing brand i was tempted to do other things but i was like so many people are doing that and i i will struggle to stand out i will struggle to passionately sell the vision to others so let me enter a different a different vertical and yeah it's yeah it's definitely partly why I chose to do watches because I wanted to inspire others to step into realms and niches that you typically wouldn't be in, but it actually ends up being your superpower because you can bring something fresh and new to those niches. Yeah, because I think like every young guy, I feel like starts a t-shirt company at some point. It's just like, Literally. it's the rite of passage for anyone who goes on to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> Unless you like sold candy bars on the school playground, you set up a t-shirt company at I one did, point. But I did both at one point, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it is one of those things like the barrier to entry is so easy to make a t shirt that I think that's why everyone does it. And I think as soon as yeah. the barrier to entry is easy for something, that's probably not the best thing to do because everyone yeah. else is doing that. So just put that little yeah. bit more yeah. effort in, find a niche, find a market that maybe is a bit more of a struggle to get into. It, like this even kind of comes down to when you think about jobs that are well paid. If you do something really, really specialist, there's a good chance you're going to get paid more for it. Whereas as soon as you go to the for route sure. that oh everyone goes and does, the wages are really low. So it's just like 
sure. making sure that you target something that isn't easy to get but putting the effort in to get that is going to be so much more rewards in the long term in terms of like um mentors have you found yourself starting to fill that role for other people have young entrepreneurs been getting in touch with you it's a tricky one for me so i'm actually trying to build out a whole like youtube channel just so that i can scale my mentorship in a sense like so people can actually have a place to get all the answers to the messages i get um because often they're the same and often people are in the same kind of position um so yeah that's that's one thing i'm i'm trying to build out it's just like a a knowledge bank that i can just distribute to people um if they ever have any questions around building a business or or any niche area so yeah i definitely get people reaching out to me my calendar doesn't permit that i can have dedicated time with everyone but I, yeah i'm keen to find ways where i can just yeah, help as many people as possible. It ties really nicely into what you're doing and everything because it's like you're basically just scaling the thing that you're doing. It's what we talked about earlier with the charity, scale that. It's like, how can we find a way to take the good and then scale that to hit as many people as possible? Yeah, I mean, that's how this podcast started was was exactly that. Like we were getting asked these questions all the time. And we were like, well, let's put it on a podcast and then then we don't have to answer those emails or or <laughs> do those drinks for, for those coffee, those coffee meetings that everyone wants to buy us a coffee. <laughs> Um, and pick our brains it's like no let's you can just refer like I had um, I had someone uh, contact me on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago and asked to um, ask for me to be their mentor Um, and I said well first listen to every episode of my podcast and then come back to me because she I I hope I won't hear from her because it's all here it's all in these episodes like hopefully that'll be enough and then and then we don't have to go down that road literally you can help a lot more people more effectively but the barrier there is i suppose now we've got like 200 episodes or something we're now the hard work so people don't want to put in the hard work to to listen to everything (laughs) they just want the quick answer but dude, if she listens to 200 episodes, then I will be, I will yeah. do it for her because she will have shown yeah. the grip, but yeah. most people don't I think that, have that's that. That's like a, just a, such like a nice metaphor to wrap it all up in. It's like most people aren't prepared to listen to the 200 episodes. They just want the one. So they don't, them right answer. then they don't really want the knowledge then, 100%. do they? They don't want it enough. As simple as that. Um, what's the main thing that you find people asking you when, when they reach out with these questions? I get the weirdest of questions. Like, I, I think I had a DM where someone was like, I'm starting a business in this niche. What would you suggest I do when I first start out? And I'm thinking, it's not even in the area of business I focus in. It was just, I get the most random of questions. I get some good questions. Like, I think just like last month, I jumped on calls with a few young people just to kind of advise them around the ventures they were working on. But those particular young people, they... They were working on ventures that had a give back element. So I felt like I could actually add value. So every now and again, I would obviously entertain talks and, and support people where I can. So well, I think kind of back to what you were saying about that person who's got this small niche and they, they didn't know what to do with it and it's not in what your area is. I think what it's worth doing there, and I think it's heard, something I've heard you talk about before, um, is just starting small. Like just start. Because I think like they're going to learn so much more from just starting and just trying it than they are from getting your piece of advice that that's that's one thing i just see with so many people there's and and i always kind of bring bring up this analogy when i talk about it but i kind of feel like the vision the dream that people have is like this mountain right and they see this mountain before them they're like yes i can conquer it i can get to that get to the top of that mountain take a few steps towards the mountain 
and they they get like intimidated by the scale of it. They get intimidated by the size. They get intimidated by how big their dream and vision is. They look at themselves and they just think they can't, they can't climb, they can never ever climb that mountain. But I always just encourage people like take a step, like every single day, take a few steps. Whether or not you can take the thousand steps you want to take that day, take 500, take 400, do what you can within your capacity. And if you take those steps day in, day out, one day you'll look back and you'll be like, oh, wow, the mountain that seemed impossible to climb, I've actually climbed it now. Um, and it, and I say that to just emphasise the point on starting small. Start small, do something every single day, contribute towards that climb. And before you know it, that vision that seemed so massive and impossible is now just kind of aligning and falling into place. And I think to add to that as well, I think with the mountain, it's like you don't have to climb that in a day. I think we put so much pressure exactly. on ourselves to just absolutely smash it. And we look online, we see people who are successful and like, well, I want that tomorrow. But actually, if people stopped and looked and think, oh, could I climb that in 10 years? Then people think, oh, it's easy to climb it in 10 years. But it's just yeah. such a different yeah. mindset, isn't it? Totally different. There's, it's, it, and it goes back to the point you made earlier, Adam, just around delayed gratification. It's just about looking at the long term, looking at the vision above all. And then because once you have that like blinkered view and you can't see anything else, um, anything is possible at that point. So, yeah, like just have the blinkered view and the, the laser focus. And I think I find a way to enjoy the climb as well, because it's like exactly. if you're going to go into it and you're like, well, I hate climbing. It's the worst thing. <laughs> I do not want to do that. Then like maybe find a way that you can enjoy it. Put some headphones in, listen to some music that might help the journey. And and celebrate the wins you've done 500 steps have a little celebration like enjoy that moment another thing visionaries do is we're so fixed on that next vision that next 100 steps that we don't celebrate the 100 we've already done and then what that does is it gives you burnout because you don't realize how far you've come you don't realize how far you've pushed on whereas if you can take a minute to rest to celebrate and then kick on again you're constantly re-energizing yourself and i think that's so important yeah it's a really good point because it's like i bloody love a metaphor so i'm gonna throw another one in um but it's like if you, <laughs> if you are climbing a mountain it's like you're gonna take a big load of water with you and you're gonna stop to have drink breaks on the way up you're gonna kind of yeah. constantly be refueling yourself you're not just gonna go all at it otherwise you are gonna burn out you're, well, you're just gonna die and dehydrate and i'm gonna i'm gonna jump on the uh, metaphor as well <laughs> don't worry about the flags that are ahead of you the, the competition who's probably like older than you yeah. or that whatever advantages they have over you like they they went in a car for the first half of the journey um it, so yeah. they've so they've got way ahead of you but like yeah you've just got to keep going because at the end of the day your path up the mountain it's is going to be different to someone else's yeah. path it's unique and even even getting as far as you've gone kind on your unique path you need to celebrate that and know that like you're running a, a race in your own lane. Like it's cool to even look to others for inspiration, look to others to, to kind of give you the energy to push on, but just understand that at the same time, everyone's journey is so unique. Mm. Um, and you're in your own unique lane, building something that no one else could build because it's come from your mind specifically. And like, and just to add to the mountain thing again, <laughs> Uh, I've got more well. like, Come on. like just by walking for a few hours or a few days you'll turn around and you'll be so high already and then it's like then you look at every single other person who didn't even start climbing that mountain 
and it's like yeah. that is yeah. that is most people and then that should help drive yeah. you on as well to be like look you are doing and you have to enjoy the journey because some people are going to be at the top of the mountain and they will have climbed through the brambles mm. and they'll be all cut up and they were chased by a lion halfway and uh if you choose the path that is going to bring you happiness then your journey at the end of those 10 years even if you don't get as high up the mountain it's a better path to take sure. because you've had fun along the way rather than going through the for sure through the ship yeah we should release a podcast with <laughs> mountains after this <laughs> dude there's yeah. something there like it's a book or a or a series or something because yeah, it's yeah. such a great analogy it really does it really does say everything like like mm. the pinnacle of this mountain like is 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 maybe it's not for you yeah. maybe like just walking up the side yeah. here is for you it's like they, they, there's so much in Every that, that metaphor unique. it's great like um listen dude it was so fun to uh catch up with you um i've been following you online for a good like two or three years and and i've just bad on my part i haven't got you on until now so um thank you for coming on could you let everyone know where they can find out more about you and the brand yeah no doubt and firstly thanks so much for having me i'm super super grateful um in terms of catching up with the brand um so our website is vtaylondon.com our social media handles are all just vtaylondon vtay spelled v-i-t-a-e so yeah you can find us across all platforms and then my personal um social media handle is just my full name so william followed by my surname which is a-d-o-a-s-i so william adressi across all social media platforms boom thank you so much amazing no, thanks for having me.